Hello, and welcome back to Animal Wise, the podcast that adds a little animal wisdom to your world. I'm Lauren McCall, podcaster, author, teacher, and founder of the Lauren McCall Animal Communication Academy. And I'm Bertha Eddington, also podcaster, digital marketing professional, and so much more. We are into our second season now, and you, our listeners, are growing all over the world, and we're so excited to be in touch with you. We do ask that you please subscribe to Animal Wise, and if you like us, help spread the news to your friends and family. Yes, please. Um, Bertha and I really do want to raise awareness about animals and their perspectives, which can be so very valuable right now. You know, I, I think it's fair to say that humans, for all that we can be loving, creative, compassionate, and nurturing, we're not doing the planet any favors right hmm. now. Mm. And hearing what the animals say, we hope, will be affirming to some people and perhaps a bit of a consciousness-raising opportunity for others. Yes, exactly. And, and although you and I have known each other for a while, it's, every time we talk, it's a consciousness-raising opportunity for me. Um, for this particular episode, I think we want to challenge some of the assumptions we make about ourselves and others, both humans and animals. Um, so let's take a moment to reflect on those assumptions, Lauren. I think you have a rather thought-provoking conversation on this topic with a black tip reef shark. <laughs> you know, that's yes, tough I to do. Say. <laughs> it is tough to say. Uh, yeah, I do. Uh, and I, I have to, I have to say that this particular conversation really opened my mind to this topic um, of making assumptions. Um, so this communication with the reef shark is actually one that my animal communication students are familiar with. I use it in my teaching quite a lot, and it's one of my favorite conversations. I think there is so much to be learned here about making assumptions about who someone is. Great. So can you give us some background first, Lauren? Did you actually get in the water to talk to the shark? <laughs> well, actually, as a scuba diver, I've, you know, been able to swim with sharks in Hawaii, the Cook oh. Islands, Australia. Yeah, I like sharks. But in this particular case, no. Uh, this shark now lives in a one of those really large ecosystem-type tanks, you know, one of those big floor-to-ceiling huge ones um, in, a, in a Tokyo aquarium. Uh, and the shark was most likely captured at a young age off the coast of Okinawa in Japan. So after introducing myself, I started the conversation off by presenting some of the typical human assumptions that humans make about, about sharks. So I began. I said, sharks are known as great predators. The shark replied, all animals who eat are predators. We don't just kill for the sake of it. If we kill to eat, like all other flesh-eating species. I said, well, that makes sense, and yet people are usually afraid of sharks. Shark replied, that's interesting. 
Do you know what sharks call people? Predators. They kill so many of us. So I think it depends on your perspective. You know, I'm sorry to interrupt, um, Lauren, and I know there's more to the conversation, but I'm just so struck by the fact that sharks view humans as predators. Um, It's just really striking. And it, it makes sense because, after all, we don't need to eat sharks to live. And as a result of our hunting them for teeth or, I don't know, what else, trophies, um, many species are endangered now. Yeah, absolutely. They get caught in fishing nets and, um, you know, they, they, uh, their fins are cut off for shark's fin soup and they're left to drown. Anyway, we could go on, but yeah. So, um, yeah, okay. So uh, what I wanted to focus on with the shark then was the impressions and perceptions around appearance. So I continued the conversation by remarking uh, to the shark, I said, well, perhaps some of the impressions that people have about you is the way you look. Sleek, fast, and with sharp teeth. The shark replied, all fish are sleek. It is efficient and necessary to move through water. Our teeth are sharp because of the kind of food we eat. We have to be able to grab and chew through flesh. As a species, we see ourselves as efficient survivors. Humans, in turn, are efficient killers. (laughs) And we do not capture people and put you in big bowls of water to swim round and round endlessly. I asked, how do sharks feel about people in general? Shark replied, I can't speak for sharks in all parts of the world. We are different. But the sharks in this place definitely question people's right to imprison us in this way. The purpose is unclear to us. I said, well, in this case, it is so that people can see you and learn more about you. Shark replied, The price of that is our freedom, and it is an unfair exchange. I said, yes, it is. Thank you for your perspective. Wow, what a fascinating conversation. I'm just really struck again by the concept that sharks are efficient survivors and humans are efficient killers. Looking at sharks, looking at life from a shark's perspective is certainly eye-opening, to say the least. To me, I think we know we think we know why animals and people do what they do, but unless and until you can see the world through their eyes, you can't know what truly motivates them. Yeah, you know that that's right, and and I think that your comment it kind of brings us back to the central point of our topic today, and that is um, all about assumptions and preconceived notions. And I, I want to take a moment just to say that, um, talk a little bit about anthropomorphism, which is the assigning of, you know, human characteristics to animals. Um, and I, I, you know, while scientists don't like anthropomorphism, I'm personally not opposed to it. Um, I think that anthropomorphism can help build a bridge to better understanding between humans and other species, 
Because when someone uses anthropomorphism, it, it means they're trying to understand and get to know that animal better. But at the same time, our assumptions about, you know, why animals do things or feel things or what are they thinking, our assumptions or projections can become entrenched and obscure what is really for the animal a different reality. I mean, you know, take pandas, for example. Who doesn't love pandas? I mean, people <laughs> love to watch them rolling around and playing in the snow. Who wouldn't love to watch that? I really do. Um, there's a viral video going around of a <laughs> panda rolling down the hill in the snow in China. It's adorable. That's so cute. It's really cute. It makes me happy. It makes everyone happy. But the reality is that they are bears. They are not cartoon creatures. And their claws and the muscles in their jaws are really designed to inflict damage, as males do, for example, when they're establishing territory. Um, they've been known to break into sheep and goat enclosures in China and eat the livestock. Actually, they're omnivores. They're not just cuddly bamboo eaters, which I know surprises a lot of people. Oh, I, I, that, I am surprised. I didn't know they were omnivores. That's a, yeah, we think of them as just eating bamboo and sleeping, pretty much. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But it does bring us back to the, the fact that projecting and making assumptions um, happens a lot in, in, our own, in our own families, between human beings, and it sounds like it probably happens with the family animals as well. In other words, projecting what the dog or cat must be thinking or making assumptions like all cats are aloof and all dogs are affectionate, that, that sort of thing. Oh, all the time. And really, as, you, as you're saying, you know, those assumptions can, can come into play a lot with, with dogs and cats and, and the relationship that people have with them. And, you know, speaking of, of dogs, you know, there's a lot that we could talk about in terms of people's relationships with their dogs and their perspectives. But let's just look at a small slice of this really huge pie. Let's look at training for a minute. Of course, I am a fan of positive dog training. Um, training's important. We want our dogs to be comfortable and feel safe in the world and, you know, behave in ways that we consider to be socially acceptable. Um, which is reasonable. We don't want our dogs to bite or frighten other people or animals, for example, right? Okay. Yeah, hopefully not. And uh, that's why so many people hire and work with dog trainers. Exactly. But there are a lot of assumptions and preconceptions about dog training as well. Um, my friend and fellow T-Touch instructor, Debbie Potts, shared with me a quotation from a really excellent trainer. Her name is Suzanne Clothier. And she said, training is a mechanical skill. The problem arises when we mistake the skill of training for the relationship itself, which I think is so true. Yeah, very much so. And it, it, it takes a moment to let that sink in. So basically what she's saying is that we as humans can assume that if our dog obeys us, then we have a good relationship. But And if not, we get frustrated. So we confuse the dog's actions with the dog's feelings. Right, right. That's such a good point. So I have a part of a conversation here with a dog I spoke with in Taiwan named Sugar. 
Um, and I think this is helpful. Now, his main person had been learning to be a dog trainer, and he was reflecting on the importance of empathy and understanding between people and dogs, rather than just the mechanics of dog training and dog training, making assumptions and, uh, and interpreting behavior just by observation. So what follows here is Sugar talking to his mom, who did go on to become an excellent dog trainer, I think largely with Sugar's help as a practice dog. <laughs> so uh, we're coming partway into this conversation. So Sugar said, uh, talking to his mom, as you realized that honoring the individual, whether animal or human, was essential, then the real learning began. It's not about dog training. Dog training is just behavior. How a dog behaves reflects their inner being. How they see themselves and their relationship with the world and their people. You have many tools to work with dogs now. But the biggest tool you have is understanding and respect. Once the connection is made on that level, then the other tools will be more effective. Without the respectful connection with the individual dog, your tools are worthless. Remember, the dogs are not machines. Find out who they are and why. Then decide how best you can help. This is my message to you and my advice. Hmm. Yeah, there's so much to unpack in there and, and so much that re, uh, relates to humans, to humans too. Um, but, it, but it's really very simple, isn't it, Lauren, at the end of yeah. the day? Yeah, it is. It's all about understanding the individual, right? Every relationship starts with understanding and respect. And I love the way Sugar said, dogs are not machines. In other words, they're not predictable robots who will behave and think in a prescribed way. And we shouldn't expect them to. Mm -hmm. No, and as always, as, as is true with animals, so it is with humans as well. We are also interconnected. And this is another lesson for me to act towards animals and humans with respect and understanding versus assumptions and preconceived notions. It's just remembering to be present, fully present all the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And my goodness, it's a great undertaking for all of us. And I think once again, the animal perspective can help to guide us along. Well, thanks for talking to us, and thanks for Lauren, and thanks for listening, everybody, today to Animal Wise. If you've enjoyed what you've heard and want to hear more, please subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform, from Apple to Google, to Google, to Google Spotify, and more. You know what they are. And tell <laughs> all your friends, family, and even perfect strangers. And if your podcast app takes reviews, Please do leave us a review. It really helps. Thanks, and we'll talk to you all next week. Bye, everyone. 